the um, teaching uh, from the Buddha that uh, I talked about uh, yesterday, the uh, one auspicious day, uh, you know, uh, could have uh, easily be called wise or an end, wise and unwise attention. Would you agree? Like, what is wise? attention and unwise attention. I think the Buddha was kind of defining uh, this in the in this talk, in this teaching. And um, that's, um, for me, that's a notion that's been uh, really uh, uh, important and intriguing. What is wise attention and what is unwise attention? And um, um, so I see two points to, um, to, to it to attention is the quality of the attention and what it's attending to. And so the art of practice, I think, is a lot around this, uh, what we're attending to and how we're attending to it. And I think everything we've been doing this week and talking about is pretty much around this, right? Um, and... Um, <clears throat> There's a few pointers that I got on retreat that were really helpful for me. At one point, I think uh, somebody was suggesting that uh, the idea on retreat, and maybe I've talked about this here, is to, uh, you know, at some point in the retreat, maybe it, it would start today, or it's already there, or that would be kind of a, a way to, a kind of a goal we could have in mind, or a way to think about practice would be that we would not do one thing habitually when we're here things would be done consciously, uh, intentionally. And so that's an interesting um, kind of uh, views, very uh, short instructions, and they become very rich, uh, I think, in the application. And so, so many things we do habitually. So what would that mean, that nothing would be, do in, uh, um, nothing would be, do, uh, be done habitually? It means that even thinking or emoting would be done uh, knowingly, consciously, instead of habitually. And so that's, in a way, that's, uh, that's a description of uh, mindfulness there. So, uh, and another thing that I've heard that was, uh, I've been helpful for me is uh, uh, somebody suggested in a teacher, and uh, I think it fits uh, very well with the Buddhist uh, uh, psychology, where I saw it uh, other places being described, is that we're always <coughs> attentive. There's always attention given to something. But a lot of the time, actually, we don't know what attention is given to. And maybe it's looping around the same theme or in the same way. And maybe the quality of attention is not the highest. <laughs> you know, <coughs> often it's a superficial attention. But there's always attention given to something. And, um, and this actually goes far, because I was uh, reading in the last uh, few weeks, uh, I think Christina Feldman was writing about this, uh, about how, not just the how we give attention, but what we put attention on is actually <coughs> creating the world for us that we're in. Right? Because we can't actually be attentive to everything. But if I'm attentive only to that kind of stuff. This is the world I live in. So do you recognize uh, something in your life? You know. So if I give attention to worries, 
that's the world I live in. And so that's very significant, you know. And maybe that's why there is such things as, uh, you know, the practice of benevolence or appreciation, joy, so that we can redirect attention to other things and so that the world suddenly is perceived differently. So it's not like there is a world and we get to experience it. Well, that's a kind of a co-creation from the experiencer and the experience is a uh, partly a co-creation what I attend to becomes the world I live in and so that's uh, to me that's a very interesting uh, thing I've never thought about this exactly like this so I thought oh, thank you Christina you just gave me a good year of uh, research here <laughs> you know that's going to make uh, the end of 2019 interesting <laughs> you know what I'm giving attention to And so, uh, and that's what we're doing here. We're, we're studying attention, quality of attention, and where attention lands. And so we sit here and we walk, and partly we direct attention, but partly also we discover where attention went, where it went back, <laughs> you know? And in this way, there may be some freedom uh, gained. Um, <coughs> some of you know this, that when I was in my... Uh, 20s, um, and uh, this this is a, this is way back then. <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, I learned I was HIV positive, and it was a very different time than today. It was a time where actually uh, people were dying, uh, you know, a lot uh, from this, uh, and there was uh, actually no hope at the moment where I learned this. It was just. Prepare yourself because it's going to get ugly, you know. And you might, when I say this, notice how you receive this. You know, you might have a you know, personal story, people you've loved, uh, you've lost, or um, you've gone through similar things. Um, anyway, um, I'm saying this just to say that I actually, when I was uh, receiving the teachings uh, at that time, I was really listening because I, I was resourceless in my uh, early 20s. Uh, I mean, my, I, I was very lucky to have very loving friends. But beyond that, they couldn't give me much, uh, you know, help in how to be inside, uh, how to be in this uh, terra incognita, huh? in this very lonely journey. It was very, very lonely, very, very scary. And... Uh, Um, yeah, there was panic, confusion, shame, uh, and probably a host of other uh, emotions. And it was not easy to be in, inside this being, knowing that they were actually, uh, they had lost youth, they had lost, uh, you know, health, and they were going to lose life, uh, apparently. That's how it appeared. That was a perception, for good reasons, I think. But when I received, uh, when I got lucky enough to receive some instructions about uh, the practice, I really, uh, I had no choice actually, but to actually listen and uh, try to apply them, which was actually really good conditions, <laughs> you know. I can say this from this vantage point where, you know, after medication came in and the, the face of this disease changed somewhat, at least for uh, a lot of uh, people on the, you know, the maybe north side of the, of the planet or uh, privileged uh, folks like I am. 
And, um, but at that time, it really made me listen very closely because I really needed uh, some instruction, some, some help. And it was extremely surprising for me what were the instructions. It was, uh, I, 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 I was, uh, and I still am, 20-some years later, still I'm surprised at the instructions. It, I would not have made, uh, I would not have come up with this myself. <laughs> Let's put it this way. Happy there was somebody 2,500 years ago who came up with this. Because I showed up at the monastery and they started giving instructions. And I was like, my life, my life is ending. My life is going to get ugly and I'm, you know, I'm going to suffer. And, it, you know, and, you know, and, and all this. And they're like, Yes, so please put your attention on your nose. <laughs> I'm like, you don't know, but you don't understand. No, just leave it here, here, or on, or on the upper lip. <laughs> I'm like, how is that going to solve my problem, you know? And they're like, yeah, do this a little bit, do this a little bit, and we'll talk more, you know? And, and it was a little bit like this, very progressive. And it was extremely helpful, because... You know, my mind was not the place to hang out uh, freely. You know, it was uh, it was a mess in there, uh, and so and so I was taught where to put attention and how to put attention. Uh, and yeah, so there was this, you know, what we this this four foundations of mindfulness, so four areas to put attention on. So where, where to put attention for uh, four things to remember. Even if you remember just one, that, that's probably going to be very helpful. <laughs> so don't worry about it. <laughs> so one, as many of you know, is body. Everything that has to do with the material experience, physical experience. So the Buddha says, when walking, know you're walking. I was like, I'm walking, but I'm freaking out about the future. Do you remember the, an auspicious day? An auspicious day, even in your conditions, little Pascal, you know, don't spend your time thinking, later I'll look like this, La- later my form will become like this, later my, later my thoughts will be like this, later my you know, perceptions will be like this. You know? Come back. If you're walking, know you're walking. If you're sitting, know you're sitting. So this is the first foundation. So it, it, it includes posture. So lying down, know you're lying down. Sitting, know you're sitting. This, to me, is remarkable. When do we do that? You know, we take off. I'm walking, I paid my taxes, so the <laughs> sidewalk's supposed to be even, so I can take off. You know, I'm not going to fall. I don't have to be really much present, you know. And so I take off, future, past, future, if, future, if, past, you know. And the instructions are, when you're sitting, know you're sitting. When you're walking, know you're walking. Activities of the body. So this is all in this first foundation, first wear of attention. Activities of the body. You're reaching, this is the Buddha, when... He, uh, when he unfolds his arm, he, he knows, he, he, that's the Quebecois, we have a problem with the H's. Huh? He knows he is unfolding <laughs> his, his 
arms. <laughs> I think there's not that problem in Pali. There's other problem in the language of the Buddha. So when she uh, turns her head, she knows she turns her head. When they stand up, they know they're standing up. You know, so activities of the body, where to put attention? On the posture as it's happening, on the activities on the, of the body, on sensations as they are happening, so sense door, experience. Hearing, they know hearing is happening. Seeing, they know seeing is happening. They know what attention is uh, connecting with, contacting. Yeah? So heat, etc., everything of the body. So that's the wear of attention. The first wear. The second wear, all things we've talked about up to now, I'm just reviewing here in a very methodical way. Four points here. Second one is the experience of pleasure and displeasure or the absence of it, neutral, neutrality in this way. Do you see what I'm talking about? So these are in French... I don't know if that expression exists in English, but in French we have vase communicant, this expression, so communicating vessels. <laughs> I don't know if it's very much in use, but it means that these things, these points are not totally isolated. They're in relationship, because pleasure happens at the sense door. You know, uh, it could be one of the five, you know. So pleasure is in the taste, so it's in the bodily experience. So you could put it both in the first point and the second. Do you see what I'm saying? But the Buddha said, anyway, I don't care. I want you to really notice when something is pleasant or unpleasant, <coughs> live, as it's happening. Because there's a lot of suffering often attached to this. I want keep. I don't want to feel. It shouldn't be there. Where are opinions born from? <coughs> feeling tone, pleasant, unpleasant. Unpleasant, it shouldn't happen, opinion. Pleasant, it should stay. That's pretty much, I would say, 99%. I'm throwing this as a research uh, <laughs> hypothesis here. 99% of our opinion come down to this. That's just opinion. We haven't talked about preferences, about emotions, <laughs> etc. So that's here is a very much of a, you know, cornerstone or something like this of the of our suffering is the relationship we have with uh, pleasure and displeasure. Uh, and so the Buddha said, everything that's happening in the body is worthy of being attentive, atten attentive to. You can't catch everything that's happening in the body. It's not the point. The point is to have attention land on something that is happening in the body. It could be the walking. In the walking, it could be the stepping. Or it could be in the walking, the hearing. This is bodily experience. It could be the presence of pleasure, the absence of it when it stands out, or the neutrality, which we freak out about also. You would think, you know, okay, we have a problem with pleasure, we get hooked and defensive and and worried about losing it. And we freak out about displeasure because it's unpleasurable, so of course we freak out. If it's neutral, we should be fine. No, we get bored, confused, nothing's happening, what am I doing wrong, I don't like this. You know? 
And so we have a lot of wisdom to gain in our relationship to pleasure, displeasure, and neutrality. A lot of work, you could say, around this. You know? So that's the second point. Huh? Body, experiences of pleasure, displeasure. Third point is, we've already talked about this a lot, states of mind, moods, emotions. The Buddha said, as it's there, as in uh, the auspicious day yesterday, by the way, today also can be an auspicious day, every day can be, <laughs> um, be attentive to the presently arisen state of mind, whatever it is, intense, subtle, neutral, pleasant, unpleasant, be particularly interested in this one, not as often our attention is given to the mind state that should be, or could be, or will it be, or was, or is in the other. And the instructions here, very in a way, very, very simple. Be aware of the mind state. Oh, And you can name it. If you can't, don't. That's fine. Oh, I feel like this right now. Exactly like this. <coughs> name it exactly. But it's like, there's one. It's this one. And then the fourth one. Should I talk about it? You can't answer. <laughs> so the fourth, uh, the fourth one is... Uh, these days I use the kind of the simpler version, which I've, uh, I, I think is a, is a good choice. And later you can do research about these four points. It might uh, comprise a little bit more than what I'm going to name here for... Uh, for us. So the fourth point, we could say, is still in the mind states, but it's the, the uh, being particularly interesting, interested in uh, going from uh, the afflictive mind state to the wholesome or helpful mind states. So it's, it seems like the Buddha was saying, hey, if I was you, having all these moments of attention... I would become really interested in how to help go from the five hindrances, let's say, to the factors of awakening we talked yesterday about. Do you remember? Like the kind of calm, curiosity, <coughs> uh, dyad, if I put it like this. And so, as you're walking, sitting, uh, relating to people, uh, you know, commuting, as you're doing the things you do in your life, be really interested how you can help, invite, uh, soften in some ways. And so go from one kind of attitude to another one that you've clarified for yourself that would be helpful for you and for others. Et voilà. That's the where of attention. And the how, we also have talked about not judging, just recognizing what is there. So not adding the little, little layer of, um, of hatred. That would be the difference between... Um, I'm going to use... You know, we have together also to define what we mean by words, but what's the, w would I make a difference uh, between judgment, when we say I have a lot of judgments in my head, and discernment? 
So for me, judgment comes with the slight little added value of hatred. You know, discernment can be very factual. You know, there's agitation in this being. You know, there's agitation. That's discernment, if there is. You know, that's agitation. That's a discernment. <laughs> judgment would be there's agitation again. You know, or judgment for another one. You know, like oh. You know, you, you seem irritated, that discernment. Well, irritated again? Not very mindful, are you? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so that's the little layer here. There can be intelligence, and we can see what things are, you know? Oh, that's not helpful. Discernment. You know? I hate you for doing that. That's something else. And so, an attention that is a little bit more generous that is not, uh, sometimes we could describe it as non-acquiring. It's an attention that's not trying to get something, you know. Often our attention, we're attentive because we want to get something or keep something or have something happen. This kind of attention is not an acquiring attention. It's interested in reality. And so we could easily, um, you know, fall into the trap of um, spiritual materialism. So we would be sitting here wanting bliss. That's not mindfulness. That's something else. Mindfulness has purity to it. It doesn't judge and it doesn't try to get something. It's interested in phenomena. Dhamma vichaya. Interested in presently arisen phenomena. Arising, alive, passing. Interested in that because it's there. It's really intrigued. Condition led to this appearing now. This is reality. Let me know this. Let me learn how to be with this. Maybe the last thing I say is this uh, attention, <coughs> this mindfulness, sati in Pali, seems um, might seem, um, you know, as we learn it and we haven't experienced it, maybe uh, on some. Uh, some longer of time, some length of time, it might seem passive. I'm just sitting here and noticing things, you know. It's actually extremely active, protective, participative. When you bring in the equation, our experience, let's say, is an equation of many things, when you bring in that factor of mind, of being attentive, curious, it changes the equation. And so if you bring attention in, things are starting to change because there is suddenly a wisdom factor or, or intelligence factor that comes in. So it's not passive in this way. You bring in something, it looks passive, but it's not. It's going to help decision-making, it's going to help how we relate to things, etc. So today, as we practice... These are the little areas. We don't have to gather all the four and every moment at all. It's actually not possible. It would be unwise to try to do this. But these are, we can uh, do it by impression. What stands out? You know? So I'm sitting here. What stands out is hearing of crickets or mouse or <laughs> whatever I'm perceiving. And noticing this hearing, hearing, and suddenly it makes something arise. A sense of gratitude, of fear, 
of uh, boredom, oops, becoming aware, third foundation of the mind state. Being aware of the mind state, I notice it maybe uh, calm down. Oh, fourth foundation, I just went from one mind state to another that is more helpful. Yeah. And then returning to body experience, body sitting, breathing, hearing. If you want to spend the rest of the retreat in the first foundation, excellent. No mistake. There is going to be discoveries. I'm laying it all like this, but this is also what happened naturally. If I put attention on my breath, at some point if I just stay on my breath, first foundation, the breath, it's a bodily experience, at some point I'm definitely going to discover the state of mind of the person the meditator attentive to their breath. Do you follow me? If I stay here with the breath, I'll notice the agitation. I'll notice the calm. I'll notice you know, the fluctuations and the quality of attention. And so it will reveal itself, even if I don't want to. You know, the third foundation <coughs> will appear in my Because uh, it's there, it's alive. And at some point it will stand out. So this might be helpful to you. It might be confusing. It's a t- if it's helpful, use it. If it's confusing, hate me. <laughs> no, don't. No, but if it's not helpful, just go back to be what you know, what have, has made sense for you up to now. Yes? Um, that's something I like about this practice. For me, it's extremely important as a it seems to me like it's a gift of independence that the Buddha is giving us. Check it out for yourself. You don't have to believe anybody. I'm going to give you a technique, an approach that will give you independence in this way. You'll be able to see for yourself what is what. And so, that's what we're doing this morning, seeing for ourselves what is what. Okay? Let's try this a little bit. wise to always start with the first point on this list which is the body and the sensory experience if you want to put it this way so becoming aware that there is a body and just this would be enough Having just enough awareness to know that there is a body and to maintain that um, consciousness, knowledge. When we become aware that there is a body, very naturally we become aware that it's breathing, sensitive, hearing absolutely natural to discover this (coughs) 
discover that it's sensitive to uh, temperature. If we stay around a little, at some point, the quality of the our mind will become uh, also uh, will be seen or felt. As we sit here with body breathing, hearing, we'll discover the state of the meditator. No judgments, just discernment, factual. Oh, the mind is foggy, oh, the mind is clear. or however it appears to you. <coughs> Maybe at some point an experience that is uh, either pleasant or unpleasant will stand out, will come at the foreground of our attention. We might be able to be able to recognize how pleasant, we can name it pleasant. Oh, unpleasant. If attention is meeting something that is unpleasant, maybe it's wise to not stay with this too long, because it will drain energy. It's not easy to be with unpleasant. So we can uh, do a kind of a touch and go. Bring the attention where there's unpleasantness, notice it, experience it, and then find an event, an experience happening that is not as unpleasant. Be going from a disagreeable physical sensation, noticing it, and going to hearing, to the coolness in the room, if it's felt as pleasant or neutral. Same with uh, an emotion, if there is an afflictive, intense emotion, often located around the chest, throat area, you might touch in the chest area, feel the pain of the emotion, and then move out, touch and go, go back to hearing, or to seeing, to the silence in the room.
along the way, recognizing, inviting kindness, care, compassion, calm, or curiosity, if they are available. this practice we don't uh, try to control the breath, we let it be just as it is, natural. Sometimes it's deep, sometimes shallow. We allow it to be just as it is, not forcing it in any way.
So nothing uh, done habitually would mean that uh, even the unfolding of the legs or if you bow like um, some of us do at the end of the sit, then this also wouldn't be habitual. It would be done uh, knowingly, intentionally, wakefully. We have a few um, minutes for questions uh, about the, the practice. Anything you would like to um, clarify, maybe I could certainly try. Because I guess I have this idea that going from <coughs> sensation to sound to, you know, that that can be pretty bouncy. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'm like, I'm thinking about that in relationship to the idea of focus. Um, or maybe that's a habitual thing. Or, um, yeah, just thoughts about that. Yeah. So there's two kinds of um, uh, concentration, you know, the concentration being opposed as being scattered, the mind being scattered. So when I went to the, this retreat the first time, they were like, yeah, we know you have a lot of things going on, please come to your nose, come to your nose. They wanted to gather my mind that was scattered all over the place. So that's concentration, gathering the forces of the mind. So there's one way that we can do this by focusing on one object and staying there, that's one of the typical ways that we know of meditation, when, when we know little about meditation, we'll think, oh, the flame of a candle, uh, the, the attention at the nose, or um, a mantra that would be repeated, right? And then there's another kind of concentration. So one is one pointed like this. Another kind of pr- uh, concentration, uh, the uh, gatheredness or steadiness of attention, is the one we practice here. It's, a, it's more like this. It's not like this, it's like this. It means there's a one uh, point uh, of gathering here is the present moment. And then the fullness of life is open for the knowledge. <coughs> so, for example, some of you I know have done a retreat. Um, they used to be held here, these retreats, the Goenka uh, retreat. And uh, so the first few days you'll be here at the nostril like this. So it's like this. And then you move from point to point. And then so the weight will become like this. Still directed attention, but it will open up to, you know, it's not like you're all not all over the place, but you're at a different place at each uh, maybe few moments. And so here, the kind of approach that um, this teacher takes, maybe because of the tradition and also because it worked for him, is, a, is by impressions. So what comes to the foreground? So I'm not trying to move my attention all over the place. I'm sitting here, and what becomes uh, you know, obvious is that there's a body sitting. And then, whoops, it's breathing. It becomes obvious it's breathing. And if a sound appears, whoops, it appears. And so the idea would not be to be scattered, to be gathered, but like this. You know, I'm staying in the present moment, and events keep changing. You know, the, the, so this one is uh, it's called the Kanika Samadhi. Just, you know, when you back it up with a Pali word, it's often useful. That's how it really exists. <laughs> it's a momentary concentration. It means uh, the, the objects are changing, but the, 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 the mind stays. And so, um, you know, and there's dangers to this. Like in any practice, there's advantages and dis- disadvantages. 
if we were doing just the nose here for five days, then you would go back home and, you know, you would be stuck at your nose. So somebody would say, hey, we need to talk. It's not going well. Okay, let's breathe at the nose. <laughs> it happened to me once. I was like, hey, we're having, we have to stuck, talk about stuff here. It's not going well, you know. Like, okay, let's, let's just sit and be at the nose. Well, <laughs> now it's not the nose we need to put attention on. <laughs> it's what's happening, you know. And when we go about our daily life, you know, I don't know, there's the kids are running over, we're cutting carrots, you know, the attention has to move a lot. Uh, it doesn't require kids, but if you have them, <laughs> probably that's part of what's happening. But at work, you know, the attention moves. And in life, in relationship, the attention moves. What I feel, what the other feels, what's in the room here. Uh, the timing, we have to be aware of the timing because we have to be somewhere else, you know. And so can there be a presence that is sustained with changing objects without feeling like I'm losing everything, you know? So that's kind of what we're practicing here. So the idea is that it would be really applicable in life. You see? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, uh, uh, there's a way also to move from one practice to the other, and that's something, something one will develop in their own practice. But, you know, sometimes my attention is open, like naturally it is, things come to the foreground, and at some point, whoops, I'll be resting for a few minutes in the belly, just the belly rising and falling. And in this way, the mind is nourished, it gathers the energy, you know, and then, whoops, it, it's curious again. What's happening in the world? What's the mind state? Right? If you were practicing, there's so many ways to practice. If you were doing a retreat with Utejaniya, so he's a really respected teacher in Burma. Many teachers sit with this teacher. And so in Utejaniya style, I think he would probably talk pretty much only about the third foundation. doesn't care about the breath, doesn't care about the attention to the body. He would say, freedom is the quality of your mind. So you could be sitting, you could be walking, you could be talking with somebody. I want you to know what is the state of this being here? What is the state of mind of this being so you would go and practice with him, and that's the only thing he would instruct you about, to watch how the mind is uh, meeting reality, which is an amazing, great practice. There's many kinds of great practices. You know? And so maybe in the course of practice, we find what works for us also, you know? and at what time what works. Yeah? Yes, please. Yes. And I, I find it really annoying when I, it's like I, I have a hyper focus. So I'm listening to the sound and like, I like over focus on it and then I fall asleep. Mm-hmm. So, so I don't know. I was just wondering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the, the, this is a common experience uh, in the practice. And uh, it, there might be different things at play here. Um, you know, when yesterday I was talking about calm and uh, curiosity. So sometimes uh, when we have uh, uh, the sinking mind, sometimes it's called like this, the sinking mind. So the mind is awake to something, and then, whoops, it vanishes. I can't tell you in, in your case what you're describing right now, if it's, it's that, but it could be, is that uh, the calming factors are very, very uh, present. But, you know, in the sisa thing... The calming factor are very present, and the um, the investigative curiosity factor are not that present. 
And so uh, a typical example is somebody will be with the breath, they're really, really intimate, connected <coughs> with the breath, and then, whoops, suddenly they're talking to ducks. You know? you know, like the mind sinks because the quietness is very prevalent in the mind, but the um, energy factor is not present. And so that's something that can happen. And there's a, many other things also that can happen. The falling asleep also is a really well-known protective kind of coping mechanism. And so, you know, I sit here and I keep falling asleep. The system has a way to take care of, uh, of stuff in the ways that it knows, you know. And uh, sometimes people over the course of practice, slowly they develop, you know, more stability of mind, more caring, more metta. And then suddenly they fall less asleep because they are able to encounter, you know, uh, grief or, you know, dissonance of some sort, you know. There's more of the qualities. And so the falling asleep is not uh, useful anymore. You know, there's enough of the good qualities that can uh, meet reality. So that's just another thing, Nadej, that comes to mind. Um, Uh, one way to do this is, you know, you could be uh, set the intention to be really interested by this phenomena, you know, so not to treat it as it shouldn't happen, but, you know, Dhamma Vichaya, oh, here's an interesting f- phenomena. Let me see if I can catch the moment where it goes from one to the other, or is it progressive, sudden, you know? So I, I want to actually, you know, there's a way that your mind can be intrigued and discover for yourself or for itself, what is actually the pattern happening, you know? And being interested in that, you'll make discoveries. You know, oh, I noticed that it's, I don't know, mostly in the afternoon or mostly when I'm with sounds or mostly when something, you'll find out some of the conditions that create this. Yeah? Okay, thank you. Um, I don't know, does it happen when you're standing up? You know, the falling asleep? Yeah, I mean, so it's, uh, I think it's intriguing. And so the way I hear it now is like, oh, that can't wait for it to happen again, you know? <laughs> could we catch it? Could we see it coming, you know? Is there prior signs that we could recognize, like a kind of a dumbing of the mind, you know? You know, go, going from intelligence to a little dumb, <laughs> you know? Like suddenly things are not so bright, <laughs> not so intelligent in there. So there, there could be early signs, you know, before the actual falling, you know, something uh, locks in, you know, like suddenly you feel locked in just with whatever the sound or, you know, you feel like there's, there's no agility in the mind anymore, right? You had a question? Yeah, you were saying about working with unpleasant sensations and to only spend uh, brief periods on them. That kind of feels like avoidance. Well, it's presented as skillfulness. <laughs> but it's for you to see. And the idea that behind this is that being with what is unpleasant is draining, and it takes some skills. And we're developing skills here. And so we don't want to impose so much, like stay with it. And, you know, and often uh, in some of our mentalities or uh, you know, uh, personalities or education, it's like you go in there and you... 
And here the approach is much more soft, especially if it's something that is uh, difficult to feel, an emotion or a sensation. So that's why I'm suggesting touch and go. You come in, you feel it, and then you move out. And in this way you can build confidence. Oh, I'm not stuck there. I can go in and go out. I know how to go out. So I learn how to approach something. Oh, that's very hard to consider this aspect of my life. Okay, let's think of something that's reassuring grounding and then maybe I get refreshed, nourished a bit and then I can gather the courage to go back, you know. Uh, so that would be the one of the approaches. And you know there's many ways to do this. It can be in the body where you go and see if there's an area in the body where it's more neutral. Let's say with an emotion it could be like really here, you know, like Ugh! and you're like, so how is it in the toes? You know, it's okay to hang out in the toes a little bit. You know, and then oh, let's go and touch. I don't have to fix everything, or you know, just. Is the long-term objective to be able to hang out with the negative stuff more, or? Yeah, because we'll uh, more, but still, probably that technique will remain because there's also about um, one thing, and check this out if it's true for you. But when there's something that is unpleasant, sometimes it has a vortex nature for attention. You know, we can't think of something else, attend to something else. It just grabs all the energy. So partly what we're doing as we move out is learning that there's other things happening. And I'm not saying all this is easy, not at all. And it's messy practice. But still, you know, like there's kind of lines we can draw around this. And so, um, and so um, I'll be, you know, let's say there's grief or confusion. Yes, there's confusion, Pascal. What else is happening? Oh, there's wind on the face, you know? And so that's a kind of sanity, so that we can actually attend to the rest of reality. And But it's not dismissive, it's not avoiding, it's uh, judicious, it's skills, you know? Yeah, exactly. And so in this way, you know, as in life, you know, in life I might feel like shit, yet I have a few things to do that are not, you know... So I can say, hey, I know it's really hard today, Pascal, and now we're going to attend to this task, you know. And, and uh, so learning to direct attention, you know, that can be really helpful, especially if we're uh, kind of spinning in worry or rumination. Oh, what else is happening? That's, that's like a note that I take in my mind. What else is happening, Pascal? We know this happened, it was troubling, we don't know what to do with it. What else? And we've told this story a lot of times now, <laughs> you know, for the last 20 minutes. What else is happening? It's quiet in the room. This too is true. Okay? <coughs> yeah. All right. So now it's, um, it's time for walking. Uh, and, uh, and you can play with uh, like this or like this. You could stay only on the steps. You know, the stepping, the stepping, or you could have a wider uh, uh, attention that allows for different things to happen. We don't have to look for things. It's really what shows up, hanging out with that for a while until something else comes to the foreground. Some of us will be uh, meeting. You know, every center I work in has different features. This is the only one where the meeting room is right behind the meditation room through a secret door. <laughs> There's no other centers that I visit that have that. It comes with the fact that you might hear voices. Uh, 
uh, at some point in the meeting. I tried to put the meetings in the, during the walking. It was not an absolute success. So uh, thank you for allowing uh, the conversations to happen <coughs> on the other side. We'll try to be uh, careful also. Thank you. Bonne marche. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.